This is the Wild Health Podcast. I'm Wendy John. There are so many wicked problems in healthcare and seemingly insurmountable barriers to reform. It's fatiguing sometimes just to think about it. How do we move to a model of care that properly rewards doctors? Is patient-centred, is one that revolves around preventative health. It's one that enables research to easily access big data. Well, none of that can actually happen without a thing called interoperability. It's a big word and it's a big statement to make, but I stand by it. Now, just hear me out. Interoperability is, very simply put, data sharing. Banks do it really well. Imagine you and I, we meet for lunch, we split the bill. I want to transfer some money from my account at my bank into your account in a different bank. Bingo, easy done. Not so in healthcare. Today, Michelle O'Brien joins us in the Wild Health podcast. Michelle is one of Australia's most influential and respected voices on digital health and interoperability. She's a business executive and has helped lead companies that provide some of Australia's most popular patient management systems. Now, Michelle's on a campaign to bring interoperability or data sharing to Australia. Is this even a possibility? And is technology actually the linchpin to all reform? Let's find out. Thanks for joining us, Michelle O'Brien. Hey, Wendy. Thanks for having me. Michelle, one word we need to get out of the way early on is this big word of interoperability. Can you explain what is interoperability and why it's so important? It's almost like an electricity grid for digital health. So if you can imagine you've got your hospital, you've got your aged care facility, and you've got your primary care and you've got your allied health, where you could have a sort of an electricity grid where you could just put in a plug and you would all be connected. So it's a way that everyone can communicate in a common language. So, you know, a patient doesn't just go to a primary care practice. They don't just go to a cancer specialist or a rheumatologist. They don't just go to a hospital. But depending on what is happening with their disease, they might present at all those different places. So the that patient, if you imagine that they're wandering along and their data is on their back, how does the data that they're accumulating as they go to all these different places get shared so when they go off to the specialist, the GP knows that the, the specialist might have gone, oh, you, you know, this pathology report says that your bloods are up, therefore I'm going to change your medication and so might write out a prescription for something different. How does that patient who also sees the GP take that piece of information back to the GP so the GP immediately knows that his patient has now got something different going on in their healthcare record? Mm. So in my mind, interoperability is that sort of almost freeway or electricity grid that takes that data straight back to the GP. So the GP knows my patient has now got something slightly different going on with them and I'm aware of that piece of information. Now, some industries in Australia have interoperability. I'm thinking of banks. I can transfer money between my bank account with ING or Combank to another completely some friend's bank account with ANZ. That works seamlessly, but we don't have that in healthcare. Is that a bit of a cultural change that's required? I think cultural and potentially policy-driven change because, I mean, having worked for Medical Director and MediRecords, they are two EMRs that serve the same market that compete with each other. So we all saw each other as competitors. 
in the industry. So we were never connected. So if a patient, for example, went to one practice that was using best practice and then decided they were going to go to another practice that was using medical director, though their data doesn't travel with them because the two doctors are using different clinical systems. Now, when you think about it, for the good of the patient, it makes far more sense that 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 information is shared between those two practices. But at the moment, we don't have policy in Australia that makes that mandatory. That's absolutely right. Mm. And and that's the same with the specialists. And, and sometimes the systems are so different and the way the systems have grown up that the data that they're collecting wouldn't make any sense if, if you were to share that because there's no standardised format in the way data is collected. Mm. And in the US, you know, they've... Their journey's been a lot longer. I think it started around sort of 2010 with Obamacare and coming through with the, the Cures Act and basically saying that we need to share it for the good of the patient. Not only do we need to be sharing health information across our systems, but patients also need to get access to their own healthcare data. Um, so that journey is sort of well progressed in the U.S., in Australia, I think what we're waiting for, and I'm not really sure, and this is probably why I've been so vocal, is what are we waiting for? Why aren't we coming out and saying that we need to be able to open up or unlock the barriers to sharing patient health data between clinicians so that it is moving with the patient? But this is a part of what the World Health Summit will be talking about. Absolutely. I mean, we have in Australia, we've got the My Health Record, which 10 years ago, we had the idea of being able to bring together a patient's health data into a central area. So patients and doctors and everybody could see a patient's health record. But effectively, what that has done is worked around our old systems. So what we're doing is pushing data back into the um, My Health Record so that you basically, I mean, I think of the My Health Record almost as a big library full of PDFs rather than the ability to take the data and share it in real time. So if you've got diabetes and you need to sort of understand all of your data and your pathology, that that can be sent to your endocrinologist or so that he has access to that data. So it's almost like a completely different framework that is now possible and, and being adopted globally that we don't seem to have any sense of urgency for achieving. So for Wild Health in Melbourne this year is, okay, we, we've now sort of starting to democratise data globally, health data globally. How does that sit in Australia with our roadmap to interoperability and where does it fit with our health reform agenda? So, you know, it's... It's going to be a conversation between the people who design our health policy for the future and also the, the people who are looking at designing the digital infrastructure that's going to underpin our health system of the future. And why is it important for doctors of all specialisations to be in the room at the summit? Because, I mean, this is the infrastructure that they're going to be working off in the future. This is, I mean, this system is for them. It's it's for them and their patients. I mean, I always look at technology and I think technology is just an enabler. But, you know, don't let technology companies design new software. The, the software of the future needs to be designed by our doctors and our informaticians in, in hospitals because they understand 
patience. The the tech, I mean, we can go in there and we can talk about technology, but it's the doctors who or the clinicians that are going to be designing and the nurses who will be designing these systems. So they need to be in the room because it's their voice is the most important, theirs and the patient's. And will there be decision makers in the room around policy, around the digital design? Oh, absolutely. We've got both our government representatives. We've got the CEOs of our hospital and health districts, of our primary health networks, who are the buyers and the people who commission technology, the leaders in our technology companies. So we're really bringing together a diverse group of people to have this really important conversation. What are some of the AI that's being used and starting to be used more? So the ability to build up AI is around repetition. So things like skin biopsy lesions, diabetic retinopathy has been a huge area because it's like the continual taking a photo and learning and relearning. So the ability to collect huge volumes of really well-structured data and then build algorithms around the collection of those images. So anywhere where there's a specialty where you can take images over and over again and reuse them. And, for example, in respiratory illness, the cough is the the central respiratory response. And so the ability to capture that sound over and over and over again in different cohorts and then be able to use that as clinical decision support in, in a clinical setting the, the issue that we have, and this relates back to a lack of interoperability, is that the data is is valuable in a, in I guess, in a single context. But the ability to be able to say, for example, collect a cough and then be able to look at what medication is that our person on, how old is that person, are they suffering from chronic disease. So to pull together a whole picture of data and include some of those additional data points that they've never been able to use before gives you a much more valuable insight. It also sounds like you need big data. You need a lot of data to make AI decision-making accurate. And you need interoperability to enable big data to be gathered and compared. Is that right? That's right. And you also need extremely reliable data. So you need consistent coded data. It's sort of working on the other side in, in the development of these clinical systems, trying to encourage GPs and specialists to code data because being able to code that data you means you can atomize the data and then you can use it in these different settings using it for research and so much valuable data is lost in the way it's input by the clinician so typed in as clinical notes which might be useful and easy to do at a point of care but if you can capture that data as a code, it can be used for clinical research to gather a point as to whether the patient's improving or deteriorating. So the design of the way a clinical system is built is is so important. And when we talk about standards, um, using standards across the system and even across the global systems, because there's the big movement of we're all using the same system, we're going to be able to get much 
much greater volumes of data across geographical boundaries. So what we're having is this conversation about which standards do we use? And I think that's probably what's held back because the US made this call I think five years ago and they're starting to move on that journey. If we make a call and we start to bring in standards and we all agree on an interoperability framework, it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to it's going to take five to ten years before we can build platforms that can potentially work together. But the vision of that happening is pretty good. It's being able to access immense data sets to inform not just diagnosis and treatment, but also research into prevention and management. Yeah, absolutely. I think the research community are another area that we would love to have in the room because organisations like the the Baker Heart Institute, the Georges Institute, data is so valuable to them, structured data that they can rely on. Mm. But, I mean, just... Your comment then about, and and the thought that we've got years to go before we get to this point, everyone needs to be part of the conversation. And at the moment, I get a sense that our future digital infrastructure is being not dictated, but more informed by the digital health agency rather than the digital, the community, a much broader community who needs to have a say in this. And in my mind, the clinician's voice is is the most valuable because they're the ones that have to treat the patients. They're the ones that have to tell the patient that they've got cancer and the tools that we can give them to help them and to make their life less stressful. These are the things that we want to bring into the Australian health system. Mm. And if World Health is going to be successful, it's going to be because we enabled clinicians to have their voice about the system, their healthcare system of the future. Absolutely. It's critical. They've got to be a part of it. Yeah, and I'll tell you the interesting one for me, my biggest fan club are the gerontologists because the ability to use this data to detect early onset of ageing diseases and and intervene and even get a diagnosis earlier can, can change the progression of someone's life. It really can change the progression of disease. Absolutely. And I think that's the most important role that AI is going to play in the future is to be able to detect, detect diseases before they have, before they progress to a much life impacting stage. Have you seen the movie Minority Report with Tom Cruise like 20 years ago? Years ago. And they they detect AI detects who is going to commit a crime before it actually happens or before they actually even think about it. And then they send off the police to take that person into jail early. So it's kind of like that with disease. I think that's possible now. I I really think they're going to start to use a facial recognition. They're going to map people's behaviours. That's going to happen. But, I mean, on a positive, I mean, knowing that you, you know, can detect that you'd want to know if you're going to end up with Alzheimer's if you knew there was a drug that could, like like my friend with uh, Parkinson's, she has been on medication for five years. She detected it early. She manages it with medication. We can do that now. We couldn't do that 10 years ago. So that's why we've really got to embrace every piece of technology that we can. Mm. And the standards around interoperability, what is a part of what's going to keep privacy safe as well. 
I mean, they're doing it fine in the UK, right, around privacy. Has there been any issues there? Well, I mean, there's always risks, but with cloud, it's less risk than some of the on-prem servers. I, I feel that's a little bit where we're at now, where we can't take a step forward because everyone's so concerned about privacy. It was like the My Health record, like everyone thought that their data was going to be shared. So 2 million people opted out and people just didn't engage because they became fearful that something could happen to their health data. Instead of the government coming out saying, this is going to be the most amazing thing, you all need to embrace it. Because it's really important to know, to be able to track your health data over time. Maybe we shouldn't be going let's not do it because of privacy. Maybe we should be going, how do we do this in the right way so that we're sharing data as it needs to be shared, that privacy is maintained where it needs to be and that the patient has access to their own records whenever they need it because at the moment they don't. Well, it's not, I mean, data and privacy is not driven by their the patient because the patient can't it's it's ridiculous you can't access your own health data so you know the fact that we can't just go in like we've got our if I want to go into my Westpac account I can have a look at it straight away but if I want to go in and have a look at what my iron level is or what my thyroid level is I can't I can't access that data. So interoperability is going to really put the patient at the center of it all as well. In terms of well, access. Uh, that is probably one of the most important points that you've made is it's all about patient-centred care and ultimately it should all start with the patient. I should be able to go into any doctor and sit down with them and say, oh, can I share my health record with you? And it's my choice whether I share my health record with that doctor and then they upload that data onto their screen and they go, oh, here's, and it's compatible, what I share with them is compatible with their system. I mean, that's the ultimate interoperability because the reality is with this patient enrolment thing that they're where you go to your usual doctor, people don't live that way anymore. People are mobile, they move into state, they might go to a hospital and you have to continue to retell your story to everyone you go to or you're forced to go to that one doctor that's at that place on that road, which is just crazy. And we that whole system is designed around the parental model of care that says I must sit with my doctor that was back in the 18th century and have this conversation with them. Mm. We've just got to make, if we made it easier for doctors, I'd be very happy. Well, I think they would too. I mean, I think it's a really stressful time to be a GP. And with what's happened with COVID, I mean, my personal experience, because I talk a lot with the people in the hospitals and did when I was at MediRecords, is they are rapidly scaling up cloud interoperable solutions because they've just been inundated. The hospitals have been inundated with patients. They can't deal with them. And people feel like that if they've even got a cough or a sore throat, they can't go anywhere near their doctor anyway. And they're all fearful of going for their doctors. So we're kind of heading to this massive, perfect storm of how do I engage with my GP? Everything that we know has been turned on its head. And technology can help address many of those problems, but we we really need to look at how we reform our system to cope with the new world order of healthcare. And also, how do we manage that data for when our patient does ring the hospital or they decide the ambulance is the best way to get treatment or they arrive in the year? Because I don't think patients' behaviour is going to go back to what we knew pre-2019 anytime soon. 
It'd be incredible if paramedics were able to access health records. I know. I've always, I mean, this whole argument that's going on between the states and the GPs and the states are saying the GPs are refusing to see patients and the, the, the ambulances, they're not in any position to triage a patient because really all they get is a patient comes in, they don't have any idea of what medications that patient's on, what whether they've got any chronic disease. They don't they are just dealing blind. And really we should all be able to say, oh, let's type in this IHI and bring up this patient's record so that we can make sure we give that patient the best care possible no matter what healthcare setting they're in. But and that would be interoperability. The fact that we could have that data anywhere at the point of care where that patient was being treated. Can you imagine but, emergency departments? But also think about from a healthcare workforce perspective. Ah, oh, we yeah. yeah. Can you imagine the how much stress would be alleviated for people working in ED departments being able to have access to this information? So to reinforce their decision making. Exactly. And also, the, I mean, you look at what, what's going on in aged care where we have patients. I mean, I walk past an aged care facility down the road and there's always an ambulance outside. And I think the that aged care resident probably doesn't want to be pushed into an ambulance ramped outside the hospital, seen as not a priority because of their age or their underlying health conditions and potentially dying waiting because... We don't have that communication between the hospitals, between that patient's GP and between the aged care facility. So we're putting we're putting strain on the healthcare system, but the strain that we're putting on the patient as well because we can't communicate in real time about the condition of that patient and what how they would like to be treated. Like the, when when people get excited about medical advances in technology, I don't think many realise that interoperability underpins the success of all of it. There might be some new device, but that device is only going to be powerful when it's going to access big data. It's Mm. only going to be accessing big data when it's interoperable. I mean, yeah, it's going to only make a significant difference to public health when there's interoperability. That's absolutely true. And I've over the last couple of years, I've been involved in a lot of remote patient monitoring, particularly around COVID and the ability to be in your home and have your vital signs checked and then having that data pushed back to the hospital so that you can work with the clinician. But because we don't have a framework for that, we don't have funding models that support the use of these devices in a virtual setting they're not used so we could be using them to you know monitor people after they'd had a coronary yeah um, operation in the hospital just to check and nothing they haven't put on a lot of weight they have their blood pressures normal we could be using them but the reason we're not using them is there's no funding for them and the number of times i've spoken to clinicians going oh, this would be really valuable and they just go there's no funding for them so we can't And there's also nowhere for the data to go. It's crazy. Crazy indeed. And that is the state of healthcare in Australia today. Look, Michelle, thank you so much for joining us today. You can connect with Michelle O'Brien on LinkedIn. She's pretty prolific there, has a lot to say. And thank you for tuning in today to the Wild Health Podcast. Have a good one.